0: It's great. I mean, I'm glad you know where Biggin Hill is. When I first engaged with moving there, someone said to me, you know, would you consider moving to Biggin Hill? And when I text my wife, I said Burgess Hill. So, I mean, even I didn't know where we were meant to be going. Um, It's so good to be with you. It really is. And I will bring greetings from New Life Church in Biggin Hill. They send their love, and uh, in fact, one of the ladies texted me yesterday in the prayer meeting just saying, we've been praying for your time there. We believe that Jubilee Church is to be an oasis in a dry land, and she could saw a picture of palm trees and fruit trees coming up around you, so I hope you're encouraged by that, um, but it's, um, it's great to be able to stand with you, and it's been good to be getting to know Steve um, on the... Uh, the Regions Beyond UK team together. Uh, He's a great guy, isn't he? I mean, he hasn't paid me to say this, okay? He's a great guy. I mean, the Christian life can be summarized with a very simple phrase, to love God and to love people. And Steve really does model that. He's got a passionate love for God and a passionate love for people, which even means that he sits and watches rugby for 80 minutes with somebody (laughs) to demonstrate that love Um, which is beautiful. Um, Before I get going, I just wanted to share a very quick story with you. Um, As Steve has said, we're part of a much wider family of churches um, called Regions Beyond, both in the UK and across the nations. Um, And I just want to, if Joel could just pop up a picture. I want to show you a quick picture. This is a picture that was taken about three weeks ago. Um, You have the guy in the Czech shirt, the classic Church leadership at the back there. Um, his name's John Clevely. He leads uh, Beulah Church in Thornton Heath, which is down in London. And then you've got this guy at the front with this incredible like shirt, there, um, the kind of Hawaiian shirt. His name's Eden, and then his two sons are opposite. And they were having lunch together. Now these guys. This was taken in the Philippines. And we've got churches in the Philippines, we've got a great couple called Kim and Smile who've got a vision to plant a church on every island in the Philippines, which is literally thousands of churches. Um, And then this guy Eden is one of the pastors there. And these were just out for a normal meal, okay? And we can often go out for normal meals and in those moments we can be a bit locked into the people we're having a meal with, can't we? I mean, that's what you go out to spend time with these people. Well, one of the sons said to his dad, Dad... I think Jesus wants to save someone in the restaurant. And the other son said, yes, and I think she's wearing a white shirt and jeans. And the dad said, you know what, I reckon her name's Maria. So the dad stood up. So John's sitting there as a Brit kind of going, what is going on here? So the dad stood up and he started looking around the restaurant. And he saw some four women sitting together in a booth. And he went over and just said, um, he saw the lady in the white shirt, but he said, so which one of you are Maria was like uh it's me who are you and he said oh I, god sent me just to let you know that he loves you she just started to weep in that moment and then the other three were like and as they as they stood and talked to these people the the boys had mess, um, prophetic words for the other three friends that were there all three of them got saved and added into the church like that over a meal i mean that's awesome isn't it and it, i hear messages like that i hear things like that and i'm like Oh, God, I need to change my attitude when I go to McDonald's. Um, because who do you want to save in McDonald's? And I think if we all started thinking like that, man, this, this city would be transformed, this nation would be transformed, and the world would be transformed if we start to have a slightly bigger expectation of what God wants to do in us ordinary folk. Amen? I feel like I could probably get down now. We could go into worship and just go, God, use us more. But I do want to share. Um, I've come all this way, and I'd love to just share with you. Uh, from the Bible... I I am going to be speaking from the Bible. My Bible's over there, but I've just transposed it into my notes. Um, So don't panic. I am going to be speaking from the Bible. This morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians 3. Um, Not all of it, uh, because there's a lot there. Um, But it's a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to a church in a place called Philippi. Um, Now, I love this guy, Paul. All right? He gives me hope for my brother. Um, He won't ever listen to this. My brother is a long way from God. I mean, he's not quite yet persecuting Christians, but he's on that journey. Um, And Paul gives me loads of hope because this guy, before he met Jesus, he was a nightmare. He was persecuting Christians, he was hunting them down. He even stood and watched as they stoned Stephen and killed Stephen. I mean, this guy was not a great guy to be around if you were a Christian. But then, as he's on his way to Damascus, inevitably to probably hunt out some more Christians... Jesus turns up. The resurrected Jesus turns up. And to cut a long story short, completely transforms this guy. Completely transforms him. He, goes, he puts his faith into Jesus and his mission, his whole life mission is completely turned around the other way. We can lose the picture now if you want, Joel, as well. It's fine. Thank you. Um, his, his complete mission is completely transformed. He goes from wanting to stop The move of christianity to being the pioneer for the move of christianity goes from persecuting christians to leading people to know who jesus is he gives his life for it he plants and strengthens churches all over and the new testament a lot of the new testament is just a record of some of the letters that he sent to these churches encouraging them to keep going teaching and shaping them now this letter the, the letter to the Philippians was written quite a, quite a long time into his, into his life. It was 27 years after he got saved, he wrote this letter to Philippians. So he's already written to the Galatians and the Thessalonians and the Corinthians and the Romans. He's already done three missionary journeys and right now he's finding himself locked up in prison. I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of us know exactly what that's like. This guy is he's already achieved so much in his Christian life. It would be tempting to kind of go, man, look at all of the good that I've done. He's gone from being an enemy of the kingdom of God to being an absolute pioneer of the kingdom of God. And he's accomplished so much stuff. And yet, he writes in Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Having already done so much, having already accomplished so much, he's not ready to quit yet. He's not ready to sit back and admire his life's work. He's got a sober awareness of his maturity and his faith. And he's like, I've not arrived yet at my goal. I've not arrived at my goal. I want to take hold still of what Jesus has taken hold of me to continue to do, to fulfill all that Jesus wants me to fulfill. So there's an encouragement. None of us have arrived at our goals yet. Have you arrived at your goals yet? I've not arrived at my goal yet. And he's straining forward. He's wanting to press on to win the prize. He's a driven man. He's ambitious in God. He recognizes that when he put his faith in Jesus, it was so much more than just fire insurance. In his letter to the Philippians, he, Paul says to them, look, stand firm. Run the race. Work. Labor in Christ because there's an ongoingness in our faith. Christianity is not like a, a passive faith where you just put your trust in it and nothing else happens. And I'm sure I'm not the only one guilty in this room of using that kind of piffy phrase, let go and let God. Just, just let go and let God. I, I've been guilty of saying it myself. And it's kind of like at its heart, what we're trying to communicate is trusting in God. I trust you, God. I'm letting go and I'm trusting you. But we run the risk of actually interpreting that kind of phrase. as kind of like, hey, look, it's not my problem. Uh, I don't need to do anything. It's all down to you, God. I'm just letting you go. I'm just here for the ride, God. It's great. I'm loving it. But the Paul's language in this letter suggests something different. It suggests that there's a striving that there's a there's a pressing on, that there's a there's a racing and a running after, there's a pursuing, and these are all doing words, they're all verbs. And it communicates that actually there is some action that is required from us as followers of Jesus. It requires an obedience to God, which does require a response from us. Now, listen, before we go any further, and before I heap loads of guilt on all of us about the things we should be pressing on and doing, I think I need to remind us of something. Because the challenge to press on and the challenge to strive is not to somehow earn our salvation or to somehow gain God's love for us. It's not that. The gospel, the good news, is that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love or acceptance. Nothing at all. God's love and acceptance is a gift to each and every one of us. And that gift is in the form of Jesus. When you love someone, you can demonstrate your love through all kinds of different ways. And one of the ways you can demonstrate your love is by giving gifts. And God demonstrated his love for us by giving a beautiful gift of Jesus. With the promise that whoever puts their trust in him, whoever puts their faith in him, will not perish but have eternal life. And it's great to be able to stand and celebrate three people who yesterday recognized there is nothing that they can do that could make God love them. Only putting their faith in Jesus is all they need. It's all they need. There's no works that they can do. There's no way they can somehow try and achieve it. All we need to do is accept his love, accept his forgiveness of our sins. All the things we've ever thought, said or done that go against God's heart. And in that moment, it's done. It's done. You are adopted into God's family. You become a child of God. You're a new creation. And I want to encourage you, if you've never received God's love, if you've never asked him to forgive you, your, uh, forgive you of your sin, if you've never put your trust in him and said, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life, then I want to encourage you to speak to someone today. Ask them about Jesus and how you can get to know him. Because being a good person is not enough. We must receive this free gift of salvation and we cannot earn it. It's a grace gift and grace is basically getting something you do not deserve. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. But Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith. Look, this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. So I am not preaching a message this morning on works. However, it's all about grace, but, but, love works both ways. If I give a gift to my wife, she feels love, but it works both ways. I love receiving gifts too. All right, if you... I love receiving gifts too. I'm privileged to have a beautiful wife. 17 years married, we've got three kids, 15, 13, and 8. That's their ages, not their names. We're not that cruel. But it's, but, and we, we do operate under the gift of love. You know, we love one another and we give gifts to one another. But it, love works both ways, doesn't it? God demonstrated his love for us by giving us his son. Our love for God is demonstrated through how we live our lives for him. Not to somehow earn his love, but to demonstrate our love of him. So because of those things, because of what Jesus has done, the finished work of the cross, sin defeated, forgiveness received, love accepted, Paul is saying, come on, come on. Jesus gave our life for us. Let's give our lives for him. And it's true of Paul and it's true of each of us who have put our faith in Jesus. That Jesus has taken hold of us. He's grabbed hold of us. and He said, you're mine. I've taken hold of you for purpose. There is a reason why he's taken hold of you. And he says, look, let's press on into that purpose that Jesus has laid hold of him for. God has laid hold of you, believer. He's laid hold of you for purpose. And whether that was 40 years ago or whether Paul's whole life, from the point of his conversion, when Jesus got hold of him, when Jesus took hold of Paul, his whole life was a passionate longing after Jesus. So what is stopping us, church? What's stopping us from pressing on, from taking hold of that that which Jesus has taken hold of us, from straining toward what is ahead? Now, one of those things that stops us is sin. It's the chains that we were singing about earlier on that that hold us back, past sin, present sin, sin which has not been dealt with. Now Hebrews 12 verse one says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race which is marked out for us. Now earlier this week I saw a meme on Instagram, I think it was, and it said, The devil knows your name and calls you by your sin. God knows your sin and calls you by your name. Because that's what sin does, isn't it? Sin shouts loudly. It shouts and shouts and shouts to try and dull out and try and, try and, 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 try and stop you from hearing the whispers of grace say it's done it's done but sin shouts from behind saying no it's not but the whispers of grace say it is finished one of the enemy's best tactics is distraction if he can get you distracted then he'll stop you from pressing on he'll stop you from striving have you ever tried to walk or run whilst looking over your shoulder it seriously impedes your ability to go in the direction you want to go. I wouldn't suggest trying it whilst running, but if on your way home you want to try and walk in a straight line whilst looking back and being distracted, you, you'll find your, your course goes off-center. You'll find, and you'll probably walk into a lamppost as well, which would be awkward at best. But the good news the good news, the gospel, the good news is that your sin, this stuff that distracts, that shouts so loudly, past, present, and future, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're no longer a slave to it. You no longer have to listen to the enemy shouting at you about this stuff. You no longer need to allow yourself to be held back by it. It's been dealt with. Don't allow sin, believer, to hold you back and in straining forward to what is ahead. But I think Paul's phrase, forgetting about what is behind, I think is is fascinating. Because I don't think what Paul is saying is, look, forget everything that's ever happened from right now in your life. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying, look, forget about God's past mercies. I don't think that's part of what he's trying to encourage us to do. Because actually, the lessons we've learned in the past can seriously help us as we navigate the future, can't they? It can be really helpful taking a glance back and looking at what happened, reminding ourselves of the the things that God has done. Reminding ourselves of the mistakes that we've made so as not to make the same mistakes again. But why is it that he is saying, forget what is behind and press on to what's ahead? I think Paul's history is such an interesting one. You know, some of it was persecuting God's church, some of it was building God's church. And as with all of us, there is some good in our history and there is some bad in our history. And God is saying, look, the one thing, not God, So Paul is saying, the one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. He's pressing on towards the goal for the prize the which he has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's basically saying, look, I'm not dwelling on the past, okay? I don't dwell on the bad, and I don't dwell on the good. I'm pressing on to the future. Because in truth, the dwelling on the past is what can hinder our present and our future progress. Now, many of us will drive, I imagine, or have been in a car, and so hopefully you might know what this is, okay? A rear view mirror, okay? Now, this is a helpful tool for driving. And some of you are thinking, I've never seen that before. Okay, if you're a driver, I want to encourage you. It's on your windscreen, and you can use it to see what's going on behind you. And actually, it's a useful tool when driving, isn't it? And you can, you can kind of reverse looking at it. You can kind of see what, what's gone in the past. You can tell the kids off because I can see you can see what you're doing. But no one in their right mind is going to drive their car whilst only looking in the rearview mirror. Because if you're driving like this, what inevitably is going to happen? You're going to crash. Exactly, Mark. You're going to crash. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have an accident. Okay? Now, the problem is, I am guilty of spending too much time looking in my rearview mirror because in my, way, in my mind, it's a way of, of dispelling justice. You're thinking, what on earth is he talking about? I have a pet peeve, and God is working this out in me. None of us are perfect. God is still working out his his salvation in me. I'm still becoming sanctified. But when I see someone driving in the middle lane of the motorway, when there is no, no godly reason or no practical reason for them to drive in the middle lane, it just does something in me that proves that I still need Jesus deeply to work in my heart. Because depending on how busy, and I'm often driving late at night because of where family live, and people just sit in the middle lane. And I'm like, guys, why are you doing this? So, Normally, Fiona's asleep at this point because she's the referee in these moments. But if she's asleep, I'm free to be who, unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say I really am. And as I'm driving along, I'm like, right, two options. First of all, I start flashing. That never works for some reason. So then, I, I, I can, well, I could go inside or outside. Inside really is saying something. Outside is just kind of doing what everyone does. And I, I got, and this is a confession. You know, confess your sins to one another. Okay. So I will, I will drive past. Sometimes on the inside, very dangerous. Sometimes on the outside, and then I'll pull in front of them and I'll give them the look. <laughs> I, I will. I mean, like, literally, if they, if we locked eyes in that moment, there is. I mean, looks could kill. This is one of them. I'm like. Ugh! I'm like giving them the look and I'm looking back. Now the problem is you do that for too long, what's going to happen? I'm going to go into the guy in front of me or the lady in front of me. And so looking back in the rearview mirror is such a dangerous way to drive and no one in their right mind is going to drive looking in the rear view mirror. And I think what Paul is encouraging in this passage is don't spend your whole time looking in the rear view mirror whilst you are doing life. Because if you do that, the inevitable is going to happen if you are constantly not allowing to forget what's gone by. And it's not just the bad stuff, it's the good stuff as well. But I think what we can do in life is as we're driving through life, we can look at unforgiveness. You don't understand what they did. Living my life like this, you don't understand. If only they knew the pain that they caused me. Someone once said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. That's just no good. And Paul's saying, look, forget what is behind and press on to what is ahead because it holds us back. Sin. Oh, hello. What am I looking at? This caught my eye in the rearview mirror. This sin, this stuff that I know really deep down I shouldn't be doing because God, I don't need to do it because God is enough for me. But actually, Hello. Find ourselves distracted by sin. Disappointments, man, that's one that can fill our rearview mirror. Disappointments. And we just end up looking, longing for what never really happened. Something that should have happened and it didn't for whatever reason. Maybe it wasn't even your fault, but you end up driving life looking in the rearview mirror. Past hurts, unanswered prayer. Man, I'm somebody who has pain in my body and I, for quite a long time, gave up going forward for prayer because I was too busy looking in the rearview mirror all the times I've been prayed for and never received my healing. And I'm not allowing God an opportunity to break into my life in that moment by removing myself. Because of disappointment, I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to have to go through the process of thinking, have I received my healing? And then realizing I haven't. So, I spend my time when it comes to healing looking in the rearview mirror. You know, shame. God, shame's horrible, isn't it? Shame can stop us when we're worshiping the, the Holy One of God and the enemy shouts loudly over the whispers of grace. And we look in the mirror and we go, but Who am I? Who am I to look upon this king? We drive looking in the rearview mirror. Lies, we believe. I could go on and on and on. Lack of faith, fear. We were taught in worship. It came out today. Fear can cause us to look in the rearview mirror of life. I'm not going to. I'm not going to drive on there because actually I'm too scared of what has already gone on. And actually, what Paul is saying, there is a journey, there's a future, there's a hope, there's a forget what's gone on behind, trusting God and drive the way He's called you to drive, fixing your eyes on the, the future hope, the future praise. And the, a warning for those of us that have had great times in the past is that you can. has anyone ever been driving and the sun's setting behind you and your drone line, you glance and you think, wow. Look at that amazing sunset. It's so perfectly framed in my rearview mirror. Look at the colors. Look at the way the cloud is. And you can find yourself, even the good stuff. Man, do you remember when the church was like this? Do you remember when... This was going on in our, when we earned this money. Do you remember when we went on that holiday? And, you know, and it's okay. A glance is fine. Man, God, you're so faithful. Do you remember when we had that incredible outpouring of your spirit, that one prayer meeting? But if we spend our whole time going, that's what I want. Forget, we're not going forward. We're not thinking about what God, maybe will want to do in the future. And we get caught up in the rear view mirror. Our comfort zones were a terrible thing to be looking at in our rearview mirror. I, who was it? Maybe it was my wife. Anyway, someone this week, I said to them, um, they said, but I, you don't understand, I don't feel comfortable when you ask me to pray out loud. And I said, comfort zones are not for believers. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm like, you remember comfort zones? Yeah, they, they're, they're those things that are in your rearview mirror, <laughs> but don't dwell on them. Um, just be pressing on into all that God's going Uh, has for us. Now listen, please don't hear what I'm saying. Uh, What I'm not saying, sorry. Please hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Because glancing back in the rearview mirror can be helpful. But I believe our encouragement in scripture is that We're to cultivate a concentrated focus on the forward, on the goal, on what God still wants to do and not on what has been done. Because there is a goal, Paul is saying. There is a destination. There is this prize and the prize is at the end not at the beginning. The award ceremony takes place after the film has been produced, after the the race has been run, after the game has been played. That's when the prizes are given out. And as I said earlier, Hebrews um, Hebrews 12 says, look, let's throw off everything that hinders, including all of that junk that's in our rearview mirror. And let's run the race with perseverance, that that's marked out for us. And as we do that, as we persevere, as we press on, We store up treasure in heaven, the price. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. Perseverance, keep running. None of us have made it yet. If your heart is still beating, God hasn't finished with you yet. Keep on persevering, keep on pressing on. He still has a plan for you. Don't stop responding when he prompts. Our friends earlier on in the Philippines, there was a prompting of God and an opportunity to respond to his prompting. And I believe part of this pressing on is listening for the whisper of the spirit that says, I wanna save someone in this restaurant today. And as you, as you even articulate that, it stimulates faith with those around you. And she's wearing a white shirt and jeans. And her name is Maria because we're listening for the prompting of God of what he wants to do in the future, not what has happened in the past. And he, he has a plan for each and every one of us, young and old, rich and poor. None of us are disqualified from God's plan and purposes. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we're his workmanship. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. And God has already prepared beforehand for them that we should walk into them. And we don't get the prize until we finish. And we don't talk about rewards in, the Christians, in Christian life very much at all. Because we, we're very humble and we're not driven in that way. But the Bible talks about rewards. The Bible talks about treasures in heaven. And it's okay to have godly ambition. I mean, I see it in my kids. They want to do things that will please me. Not because they're trying to earn my love, but because they know they already have it. But they want to demonstrate their love for me in how they live. And one of the mysteries of God is what this prize actually really looks like, what it really is, because sometimes a thing, in my mind, is actually more impressive when it's left undescribed. Paul doesn't tell us what this goal is or what the prize will be, but... As you read it, you catch his passion for this thing that he is working towards. And, it, and it, our hearts get stirred because we feel like this is something that is worth pursuing. That this earthly life with all of its strivings, with all its sufferings and all of its sacrifices will pale into insignificance with heavenly glory, amen? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, what I have seen. Or what ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived are the things of God that is prepared for those who love him. That's the goal. That's the prize. What our loving father is preparing for us to receive. And God has and is calling each of us on heavenward towards this final destination. destination. And there is a journey for us to take. Could the band to come back up because I really, I want to encourage us this morning to not live our life in the rear view mirror, okay? Not be rear view mirror believers, but those that are willing to press on and look forward. I believe we're to take heed of what God wants to do in us as individuals and in you as a church to press hold and take, sorry, to press on and take hold of that which which Christ has taken hold of you. For some of us, what we need to do is ask God to help us to forget what has gone on behind and to start to strain towards what is ahead, to press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called each of us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And as I was praying this morning about delivering this to you and sharing my heart with you, I really felt that there were probably, there's pro- I'm, I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit that He's speaking to each of us through the Word, through the worship. But I wonder if, particularly, there are some who know that Jesus is taking hold of you even for the first time this morning. There's a moment like Paul had where. Jesus has taken hold of him. He's getting your attention. He's stopping you in your tracks. And if that's you, I want to ask you, how are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? And I'd love to have opportunity to pray with you. For others, I think we're realizing, man, I'm spending way too much time looking in the rearview mirror. Way too much time looking in the rearview mirror. And it's time to find faith and grace for the future. And for others, it's time to get back in the race. You've written yourself off because of the disappointments and the hurts and that I've been there and done that and actually it's a lot safer not to do that and I'm gonna keep looking in the rearview mirror. I feel like God's saying, no, today is a day to stop looking at rear view mirror and to trust me with what I'm gonna do. Amen. Let's hand over to the work. I don't know if Steve, over to you. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's... Respond to God. We're going to respond to God in, in worship. But there's that opportunity to respond to God right now. As Simon's already shared, what God has been speaking to in particular.